Hey everyone, I'm Tangia Renee, your host, and I'm tickled silly to bring you season two of That's What She Did, a podcast about women leaders, innovators, and rebels you've probably never heard of. I'm bringing you stories about remarkable warrior women, rabble rousers, fearless truth tellers, empire builders, and so much more. This season, shaking things up a bit and bringing you a new co-host for each episode. That means each week you get to hear directly from a woman of impact and learn all about her badassery that she's creating in the world while we gab about current events or whatever's on our minds. And of course, we'll be highlighting the stories of incredible women from all over the world that will inspire you on your journey. You don't want to miss this because when you bring together lady bosses to talk about other lady bosses, and maybe throw in a drink or two, well, anything could happen. Thanks for joining us, and don't forget to subscribe to That's What She Did, the podcast. Smooches! You're listening to Season 2, Episode 8 of That's What She Did podcast, and this is your host, Tangia Renee. Going to take a moment for a listener shout-out. Irina G. posted, This show is really refreshing. I enjoy hearing stories, especially when told well by women, about women that can help all women. Global teaching is the key to all survival and legacy. Thanks so much, Irina, for that five-star review. Appreciate you, and please keep leaving your reviews. Just head over to iTunes, leave us a review, let us know what you're thinking about the podcast. We love it so much, and please continue to connect with us on social. Now, get ready for this next episode. We are coming in hot today on That's What She Did podcast, and I am more than thrilled to have China Tulliver with us today. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. So transitioning. So China is a, a podcaster. She's transitioning out of the role of a doula. So I'll have you explain that for our listeners. I think most of them probably know, but... There are some men that listen, so. Well, I feel like a lot of women don't know what a doula is. I mean, I if I said labor attendant or labor assistant, mm-hmm. but like a doula was the original term. Like that's the coin term of basically a, a servant woman, right? Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, we basically serve women in labor. Interesting. And I mean like meet all their needs from like catching vomit to if you have to catch their baby. Catching vomit? What are you talking about? Women throw up all the time. In the middle of birth? Girl, I have come home with so much vomit on my shoes. Oh, my gosh. When women are about to give birth, especially, like, those last, like, couple centimeters, they fucking haul. Oh, can I cuss? Yes, yes, yes. They projectile vomit everywhere. Really? Yeah. Everyone's so concerned about pooping in labor. Oh, I don't want to poop. Oh, my God, it's going to smell bad. No, I'm like, girl catch that vomit it's bad <laughs> that would traumatize me i don't handle bodily fluids well Great. so if you can't handle that the smell of birth also would take you out the game oh i know so my mom made me one time <laughs> when my youngest sister was born she made me record it and it was awful and I hated every second of it. And I will never, ever, 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 ever do anything like that again. So do you want to have kids? I'm 
Not, not really. I know. I don't at all. Like, I am very <laughs> clear that even before I became a doula, I knew I did not want to have a baby. And people always ask me, well, but you've seen it. Like, you've supported it. How do you not want to do it yourself? And I'm like, have you have you seen it? <laughs> You've seen it. <laughs> it's I'm traumatizing. It's horrifying. I am good. And Scary. you you can't get that that aroma about yeah. your nose. It, it kind of just lingers. Um, I love supporting women in labor. I love supporting families in labor. I do not want to be on that bed on my back with my legs open hollering. <laughs> I'm a pass player. Yeah. I'm kind of with you on that. I think there's a revolution coming of women who are deciding clearly they do not want to have children. I do not want a mother. I do not want a parent. I do not want to breastfeed. I do not want to sacrifice my body, my time. Mm-hmm. I am very clear about the needs that I have mm-hmm. and really not interested in meeting the needs of anyone else. I think that's an, a very empowering approach to take to your life and just being like, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. And having zero fucks to give about it. Yeah, I think that if more women like took a personal inventory, mm-hmm. they would come to this place too. I agree. And I think that they don't get time. They go right from like, okay, well, I'm out of high school and I'm into college and all my other homegirls are doing this thing. Mm-hmm. So let me like just do this thing too. Why well, don't want to do that thing? Like I want to go do some other shit that doesn't involve like diaper eggs and mm-hmm. car seats and tuition for school and all those things that women do to sacrifice to be mommies. Yeah, agreed. I think mine comes from I'm the oldest and I have a lot of younger siblings. There were six of us. And when you come from a large family like I do and you also happen to be the oldest in that lineup, then you spend a lot of time mothering. And it's not because you chose to. It's because the children outnumber adults. (laughs) And somebody's got to step up to the plate when your parents are working and you know your little brother needs to go to soccer practice or you need to take him to school and so by default you're the third parent yes that's exactly what happens and what also didn't help is if i got myself in trouble i would get grounded and as part of my punishment i would have to babysit (laughs) and you know that's some real like strategic shit right there your parents are like so so you're grounded we're going out because that means we have a babysitter and then it would be like my siblings plus my aunt and uncle would bring their three kids. And it was, I had a daycare on my hands. So basically you've already parented. Yes. Like you've had like partial parenting responsibilities and like you know how it feels. So you're yeah. like, I'm good. Oh, I know exactly how it feels. I have no delusions <laughs> when it comes to that. So people ask me, I'm like, do you know what you're getting yourself into? I hope you do. Good luck with that. I'm going to take a trip. Yeah. And I feel like <laughs> it's the same thing with like pregnancy and labor. Like, Women see other women pregnant and they are delusioned a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong, like no shade, no hate, but I do not have the vocabulary to explain to a woman what labor and birth feels like. I've never been pregnant. Mm-hmm. I don't have children, of course. So I'm trying to tell this sweet, innocent, jovial woman who's blooming in pregnancy, your life is about to get flipped and dragged. <laughs> And there's really nothing I can do about it. But I can, you know, give you some essential oils and maybe (laughs) massage your lower back for a while. (laughs) It just feels so out of whack where you like you want to help, but you know what's coming down the pipe. I I know exactly what's coming on the pipe. In between like just being in labor and also like this whole obstetric violence that women um, are victim to. I wanted to ask you about this. Yeah. Because I saw an article on blackdoctor.com that was talking about 
this obstetrics violence. And I had never even heard those words put together in a sentence before. And I was like, wait, yeah, hold, what is that? It's, it's real shit. So like I, okay, so I'm a doula. I'm still working. I have one more client to do. But I had a client give birth last week. So I have a fresh example, right, of mm-hmm. what this looks like. So my client is in labor. She's pushing. She's on all hands and knees. She's doing a great job. She doesn't want anybody to touch her. She doesn't want to be coached. Just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. I got this. And she was rocking that baby out. The OB comes in and the OB decides that she wants to place her fingers inside her perineum just to check some things. And my client's like, no, I'm good. You can keep your hands off me and out of me, right? Because I got this. The doctor did not listen. And she proceeded to put her hands inside her perineum. And my client said, no, no, I'm, I, do, I do not want that very clearly. And she did it again. That is obstetric violence. That's assault. And, and in any other circumstances, that would be rape, right? Yes. And so, like, why is it so um, – we turn our heads to it when it comes to women's health and women having babies and women's desires and pregnancy and labor. But if that happened to me at King Super or Whole Foods or at the club or in the – whatever, it would be assault. Mm-hmm. That is obstetric violence. So where do you think, is this a policy issue where it's like we have decided that as the hospital we have to take matters into our own hands? This is a provider problem. I think this is a doctor problem. Uh, Doctors, I mean, they have this kind of like, I know what's best. And I have, believe me, on my podcast, Birth Control, I've interviewed quite a few women. And Mm -hmm. the common theme is I'm not listened to. Mm. They didn't hear me. They shut me down. They silenced me. I don't care what the race of women I interview, the same fucking thing. Silence. Because my doctor is supposed to know more about my own body and my baby than I do. They kind of take the power and the authority away from the woman. They Mm -hmm. really do. And so in this instance, you know, I told the provider, the doctor, yo, stop it. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want it. Leave her alone. You're actually like, this is actually going backwards now. Right. And so how did the doctor respond? So at first she was kind of put off by me. You know, like I'm a like almost six foot black woman. You know, I'm definitely carrying my own weight in the world. And so, and I'm very direct. Mm-hmm. That's my job, right? My job is not to make uh, a doctor comfortable. My job is to support my client. And so she was def- initially very put off. So was the nurse. She laughed. She laughed. Yeah. Her and the nurse, two, two women, they both laughed. What was funny? Nothing was funny. I think it was a mixture of I'm nervous and uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and I'm also um, being questioned and checked. And that's making me feel some kind of my white fragility is kicking up. Mm -hmm. That's what that was. And so I just reiterated what I said again to make sure they heard me. My client is totally doing well. She does not need her, you know, your fingers in her perineum back Mm -hmm. off. It's simple. But that is obstetric violence. Uh, well, I was really shocked when I read that article because, again, this like this is something that's not talked about. I have never heard that before until recently. And then so I started Googling and I was like, this is not a new thing. Like This is just business as usual. And it's crazy that like I can think back on my own experience once where um, I had went to get a pap smear mm-hmm. and I asked the midwife or nurse practitioner to use a smaller speculum right and she was like oh you're a big girl we need to use a bigger speculum and i'm like (laughs) excuse me yeah and but that kind of goes to this whole idea that like black women don't feel pain Mm -hmm. right like we we're just like built for it tough 
No, like we do feel pain, right? And if I'm requesting a smaller speculum, give me the damn smaller speculum. Don't question my needs as a, as, as a patient. Right. That is on the level of obstetric violence. That's crazy to me. That is crazy to me too. And it's crazy how many women go through labor mm-hmm. and they go through birth and I'm there witnessing, watching all this go down. And then afterwards, they're like, either two things happen. One, they're like, oh my gosh, my doctor totally saved me, right? So it's like this victim savior thing. They totally saved me. I had an emergency C-section and they saved me and my baby's life because it was so in danger. Well, I'm thinking they threw you in front of the train and then they snatched you from it. Or the other one is like, what the fuck just happened? Mm -hmm. Where they're totally in shock. And I can't tell you how many women I have sat with them on their couch in their living room while they're holding their baby and they're just weeping mm-hmm. and they're crying and they're sobbing because all the joy, all the desires, all the dreams of their labor gone and they can't get them back and they feel powerless, yeah. vulnerable and powerless. That's not the way it should be. What do you think needs to happen to change this dynamic? I think it's medical schools. Right. I mean, at the training level, at the training level, I think that the providers are already in practice. I don't know what can be done with them. Right. Mm -hmm. Until patients start suing them, calling them out, calling out hospitals, you know, they start making numbers like C-section rates public. I don't know what can really happen with folks already practicing, but I know the institutions, the educational institutions, they can do more work. Right. Like it's not secret anymore. Mm -hmm. Like people are beginning to have hard conversations. You saw an article online, and that wouldn't have been online 10 years ago. No, it wouldn't have been. So people are getting hip to the game, and I think that younger people who are now in medical schools, they know what's up. It's not a mystery anymore, and that's where the training and the change needs to happen. It's just amazing to me that someone, especially a woman, would think, this woman just told me not, like, literally don't put your fingers in my vagina but I'm going to do it anyway. Because I think I know what's best. And she said, um, I'm just checking for a cap it on your baby's head. And basically cap it is when babies are being squeezed through the birth canal, um, they get swelling on their heads, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very common. And it's not one of those things where it's like, this baby is moving, like leave it be. If there's no problem, don't create one. Mm-hmm. But I sometimes get the suspicion that doctors create a situation to therefore have interventions to therefore move towards C-sections, to therefore make more money, mm-hmm. right? I could be wrong. Hey, I'm just a doula. Mm-hmm. But I've seen too many births go left for no reason. Healthy women, young women, non-smoking, don't drink. I did yoga. I worked out every single right. day. I ate organic shit. Like, I took care of myself. I went to my appointments. Vibrant young women end up in emergency C-sections. What the fuck is that about? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. The other day, I don't remember what I was watching, um, but it was an interview with a doctor, um, a male doctor, and he said something like 50% of all C-sections are unnecessary. Oh, I believe that. And I was like, that's a pretty high number. How does that even happen? I mean, and like most people who like are not in the birth world, they would be pretty like shocked by that number. But as a doula, I mean, I would say in the four years I've been a doula, I've attended, oh my gosh, somewhere near like a hundred and I'll just say 30 births, right? Mm -hmm. And I have seen, again, women, healthy young women go in, in labor, totally fine. 
and it's a spiral, right? I call it the swirl. Once one intervention happens, another one happens, another one happens. And then next thing you know, we're headed in. Now, let me say this too. There are times when a C-section is necessary. This baby is not coming out any other way. Mm -hmm. And we've tried everything that we could have. This kid's just not coming this way. And now we need to go have a C-section. That's that's the reality too. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is 50% are unnecessary. That's a lot of surgery. And that number could be slightly wrong. I'm just going off the top of my head. But it was just, it was just like last week that I saw this and it was 50, close to 50%. And this was from the mouth of a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, this is my field. I know this field. I've been doing the research. 50% yeah. are unnecessary. I often think like women take uh, childbirth education classes. That's like breastfeeding classes, like all these prep classes before they go into labor. I think that it, women should take C-section prep classes because mm -hmm. if 30% of women nationwide are having C-sections, then you got a one in three chance. Right. Those odds are not in your favor. Is that a thing, these classes? Oh, yeah. they're For C-sections specifically? Oh, no, girl. I mean, like, if you're having a scheduled one, mm -hmm. some hospitals will offer classes for that. But nobody's going to say, like, yeah, take a C-section class because you're probably going to have one. No doctor's going <laughs> to. <laughs> well, it feels like if the, the odds are so high, why not? Like, I you mean, need to know what this means. A part of me, the reason I started this podcast was to like bring light to some of this stuff, mm -hmm. like obstetric violence, um, bring light to the infant mortality rates in black communities, bring light to the breastfeeding disparities, right? Lack of, you know, prenatal access to women in marginalized groups. Like that is why I wanted to start a, my podcast, Birth Control. And it wasn't just to be a podcaster. I really have seen it. Right, I'm in it every day. Mm -hmm. I'm still working as a doula. And there are women right now who are struggling, right, with countless ways in their pregnancy and parenting journey that they don't have access to resources to, mm -hmm. right? That maybe white women do, or affluent women do, mm -hmm. or women who have access to care do, or who don't have to catch 10 buses do, or who are not on government assistance do, right? right? Like all the things that keep our women pretty much oppressed yeah and i think what's been fascinating to me is what's coming to light now i mean particularly through um serena williams speaking out about her birth story about it not being just a question of economics like i believe well if you had the money then you got the best health care and you were safe but here's serena williams arguably the greatest athlete of all time Right in any I'll co sign sport. that. I'll co sign <laughs> like that all day. Sport. I mean, she's got the best record of anybody. Call a thing a thing. Um, and affluent, famous, well known, obviously, healthy, very healthy. Obviously, has access to the best healthcare available to her, and she still had to save her own life because the doctors didn't believe her. So imagine, let's give another scenario: young woman, twenty-one. Let's say she's like working at Target. She doesn't have a car. She's pregnant. Maybe she's on government uh, healthcare. That means she's restricted to this many, just these providers, right? Mm -hmm. So if Serena Williams is not listened to and she was silenced about her life. Imagine this young woman, right. the access and care that she has and autonomy she has over her body, her pregnancy and her birth and her postpartum care. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't make a difference. The research tells us for black women, 
doesn't make a difference. If you're highly educated, I'm talking about have a doctorate or if you barely got a GED, you're in the same category. Your risks are the same for infant and maternal mortality. Mm-hmm. Black women are more likely to die who have a PhD than a white woman who doesn't have a GED. Wow. Systemic violence, systemic right. racism, oppression, right? Like those are the things. We can't fix those things, right? Healthcare systems that are not built for us that we can't access. Those are not things that we can fix. Mm-hmm. Those are government issues, right? Those are systemic policy issues. And black women are at the whim of providers. Yeah. It's amazing to me. I mean, I feel like we're in the information age now, right? And so that's that allows us greater access to information, which is a good thing. Like even a year ago, I wouldn't have known this. I probably would not have seen that article because I think bloggers and certain doctors, certain you know people in their spaces are, are going, well, like you, I have something to say. And so I can use these platforms to say it. And what's also come to light now is that the United States of all the the developed countries in the world, so all of the affluent countries in the world, we have the worst outcomes for women in health, the worst. We do, we do. And that is, and I read an article today, New York Times that said that uh, Washington DC specifically has the worst maternal outcomes of any capital city in the world. Jeez. (laughs) In the world. So like that lets you know where we are, where the healthcare of, mm-hmm. of women, where where that stands. And there's a quote that I can't like say verbatim, but basically it was like, you can take the pulse of the of how well a country's doing based on the healthcare of the woman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that lets you know right there, like it is not a priority. Mm-hmm. Our healthcare, so if a white woman's healthcare isn't a priority, she it. A woman mm-hmm. of color? Not even. N- not even close. What do you think is the way forward? Couple ways I think are the way forward. One, talking about it. Yeah. Right. I think that um, especially in communities of color, I'm I'm only going to speak for Black women. We don't. We have a lot of shame. Right. We don't want to talk about our birth stories. We want to keep things hidden in secrecy. Even my clients who are Black women, when it's time to like process the birth story, it's like they would rather sit with it in silence. Right. They don't want to talk about it. So even with their own family members and their mm-hmm. friends, they don't want to discuss it. So that is a big problem. You know, we have this thing where we just like take it to Jesus, mm-hmm. right? We just take it to Jesus. And it's going to be okay. Like we need to start talking about it. And yeah, women talk about it on Facebook and social media platforms, but you're not going to share the intimate details in public for real, for real. Yeah. No, I hear you. And I think it's not just birth stories. I feel like women of color in general, um, you know, I've had things happen to me and I'm just like, I can't talk about, like, why would I talk about that? And I remember when when Me Too, that whole story first broke, right? It was it was largely in the context of white women. They, that's, that's just who that initial New York Times reporter spoke to with the exception of, um, what's her name? I can't think of the Latina actress. She's from Mexico. Uh, that prayed, played uh, Frida Kahlo. I can't think of her real name right now. <laughs> it's basically, I can see her face in my head. Um, with the exception of her, it was mostly white women that were discussed. And I remember watching that and feeling almost like, like this level of secondary trauma where it was like, I don't want to talk about this. But it was amazing to me that immediately like white women were talking about it. And you didn't see a lot of other, other women 
is part of that conversation, at least initially. Because it, it sends the message like, we are not ready to acknowledge you too. Yeah. So it's like me too, but not y'all. Right. Right. And that was like my biggest criticism of that whole entire movement when it first came out was mm-hmm. like, so these women who are speaking up is because they got money. They're not worried about getting fired from their jobs or getting put out their institutions of education, mm-hmm. right? Or getting put out their housing. They got money. That's why they can speak up. Mm-hmm. But again, my homegirl at Target who's catching a bus who's six months pregnant, who her boss may be sexually assaulting her mm-hmm. or, you know, in anything on that level, how's she going to speak up? She got rent to pay. Yeah. I think there's this thing in our communities and the communities of color where you're, you're told certain things growing up. So there's the underlying messages that the world is telling you that you don't matter, that you don't have a voice here, that just be quiet, right? Go over there and be quiet. And then I think within our family, we do these things where we're like, mind your business. Oh my gosh. Give it to God. Oh goodness. Take it to Jesus. Right. And there's, we don't, we're, we're still not having this conversation within our own communities about, um, our, our mental health and the things that are impacting it. I think until recently we haven't even had the language to do that because it was so characterized as like a white person thing, uh, you know, growing up, I didn't grow up in poverty. Like I grew up in a normal middle-class neighborhood and, and had opportunities like many American students, but I went to a school that was predominantly white and that was just normal to me. But I do distinctly remember that like, Amongst us kids of color, we would joke about how uh, how the parents of the white kids went to shrinks and they were on Prozac. That was not something that was happening in our household. No, but listen, when I was an undergrad, I actually started going to see a therapist. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember my therapist telling me that I needed to over Thanksgiving break tell my parents that I was in therapy and I was like are you trying to get me killed <laughs> like you must hate me like I cannot Parents take me straight to church girl <laughs> and lay me on the altar like I cannot go to my daddy who was black my mama who was black we from Detroit we're from inside Detroit right mm-hmm. the real Detroit and tell them due to the traumas that I have faced as a child that you did not take the time to really take a look at, I am now in therapy trying to get my shit together. Lose their mind. Yeah, so I'm not an angry black woman out in the world, crazy, you know, causing havoc and chaos. And I remember telling my dad, we were at a Boston Market, and I was like, dad, I got something to tell you. And he like put the fork down, and I was like, like, no, I'm not pregnant. Because that's what they think you're going to tell them. Yes. You must just be pregnant or you want some money. <laughs> Either those two things. And I was Which like, would be better than being in therapy. Being pregnant and wanting money is better than being crazy. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it is. If yeah. you're going to see a therapist, you are crazy. That's that's the label that yep. we put on it. And I think in black communities too, you know, everybody has that crazy uncle or that mm-hmm. crazy auntie who we just wanted to pray over, yeah. um, talk to the pastor about, but they probably had bipolar disorder or they were schizophrenic. Yeah, or they had like um, depression, severe depression, or, you know, whatever the, the DSM-5 would diagnose them as. Right. But black people like, that's, they just crazy. Mm-hmm. They touched, God bless their yes. heart. Yeah, but they needed more support. And we as black folks don't know how to do that, mm-hmm. right? We're still, like you said, getting a language around it. So that is the number one thing. Like, let's start talking about it. Mm-hmm. And then, too, like, let's start supporting each other. Right. I mean, if there is a witness in the room to birth, I, I consider myself as a doula a witness. I notice that providers kind of straighten up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. They don't try to as much as that fuck shit as they usually will. 
they still do pull it and they still like get a little bit of course correction. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that we need more family support, right? Maybe they can't afford to hire a professional doula, mm-hmm. but like, what can we do? How can we armor up so that we can support our loved ones in, in the most vulnerable time of their lives? Yeah, absolutely. For real. Still working on and I think, you know, it's been a, a journey for, for myself in terms of talking about it, like not like getting to this place where I was no longer afraid to say like, I see a therapist, like I have a therapist and it took me a while <laughs> to get there. And I can see like, even just seeing it right now, yeah, you're like, so, because my thought as I'm saying this is what if my mom listens to this episode? What, like, what are my parents going to say about this? Hopefully they will say like, thank you for being honest. I mean, I hope so. I was seeing a therapist like <laughs> last year and uh, I've been seeing a therapist on and off probably since I was like 18 and I'm 34, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes I will see a therapist because I just need to kind of process something, a specific thing. Right. And then sometimes it's like deep rooted. Right. It's up in there. And I need some support getting this up out. And I don't think that that's the responsibility of my friends and family. No. I mean, they're not also not equipped to do that. That's not what they do. They got their own shit. Right. Right. And so I'm going to go seek a professional. If I had a, a tooth in my mouth that was going bad or I would go see a professional, right? Right. If my vagina needed some support, I would go see a professional. <laughs> right. If, you know, my car was breaking down, I would go see a professional. Like, these are all areas in our lives where we seek professional support. Why is it when it comes to our mental health, we just want to give it to Jesus? Is that mm-hmm. enough professional support? I don't think so. I mean, and I recently opened up this conversation with my own clients that I work with in my own business. Um after we had, you know, all of the celebrities that were committing suicide. And and so there was some conversation happening in my own private Facebook community where people were like, wow, it's amazing. Like these people are famous and they're wealthy and this is still happening. And I was like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that they don't need support. And so I opened up that conversation and it was like the first time I was public with having had seen a therapist and it like it gave me like the chills <laughs> to like put that in writing and put that out to my email list and be like listen your pastor is not your therapist your mom is not a therapist your your best friend and your squad they are not therapists yeah. and when you were dealing with real issues yes. you need a real professional please like preach on it girl like i have had friends who needed to go to therapy who like brought their shit with them and like wanted to lay it on my couch. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, 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 girlfriend. What I can do for you is make a referral Mm -hmm. to my therapist. I don't want to be that friend. I don't want to be that homegirl that's helping you process your childhood trauma. Like that is not my responsibility. That does not make me not a good friend. That does not make me not a writer. I will still come bail you out of jail. (laughs) I will still come throw a brick through your ex-boyfriend's window. That's fine. But I can, I don't have the skills I'm not equipped. I don't have the right. language. I can't help you past saying, girl, I hear you. And for some people, that's enough mm-hmm. to say, I hear you. I acknowledge you. But for some folks, they may need a prescription. Right. And you are not equipped to do that. And I'm so, not. And it's not my responsibility. Yeah. It's not. It's it's asking you to take on more than you can handle. And it isn't fair. It's not fair. <laughs> it's not when not. we have resources. But then let's talk about like access to those resources, mm-hmm. right? So what if you, what if I wanted a black female therapist in Denver, Colorado? Uh, they're there. 
I know, I girl. Mean, but you're going to have to kick every bush and baseboard. It's, a, it's work because when I went to look, I was pretty clear that I needed to work with a woman and I knew I was going to feel more comfortable if I worked with a woman of color. And it took some legwork. To it find definitely someone. does. I mean, shit, just to find a hair salon, right? Yes. Or like somebody was <laughs> on Facebook like, I need a natural hairstylist in Aurora, Colorado. And I was like, ooh, mm, girl. That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, man. I mean, they're there, but you got to do some legwork. Like yeah, you're saying. you got to do some legwork. But shit, I mean, like, invest in your own greatness. Yeah. It's an investment in yourself, and you. I think you have to be willing to be in this place where you're like, I got to show up for myself. Level up. Yeah. Like, level up. I think that women of color have been doing a phenomenal job at recognizing, like, okay, this is what it is. We better go ahead and level up ourselves. Mm-hmm. Nobody is coming to save us. Our own men are not showing up for us, so let's go ahead and, like, pull together and level up. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit more about Birth Control Podcast. So Birth Control Podcast has not officially been released yet. It is not. So like my goal is to release it in September. Okay. But can I tell the quick story about how it came yes, about? Yes, please do. So um, I'm a doula. I was like in community college, right? Although I have two <laughs> college degrees that I'm paying for. Um, I'm in community college. I'm taking prerequisites to begin uh, midwifery school, certified nurse midwifery school. And my instructor's like, what are, you, what are you gonna do? Because I'm just not feeling this is for you. Like you're just a little bit, not better than this, but like you need more. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was in the cafeteria eating a quesadilla and I was like, I, I, <laughs> and I whispered, her name is Dr. Francis. And I whispered, I'm gonna start a podcast. And like, she was like, Okay, and I was like, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what it took to start a podcast. I didn't know any podcasting language. I didn't even listen to podcasts. How did you? Well, where did that idea come from? Because then? my friend Louisa Duran was invited on a podcast and to, to as a speaker as a guest, and she invited me to come with her, and I fucking loved it. I was like, <laughs> what? And then, but before then, my homegirl Katie has a podcast, and she interviewed me, and I was like, so I had been on them. But I had not really subscribed and listened to them. I just knew it's gonna sound so petty, girl. I liked hearing my own damn voice in the <laughs> microphone. I was like, I don't think it's petty though. I think it's honest, and I think that if you're gonna use this medium, then you had better like listening to your own voice. Like yeah. if you're gonna be on YouTube, you better like looking at yourself that's, on the screen. That's word. That's what's <laughs> up. And so um, I googled like podcasting events here in Denver. I found House of Pod. I came to a one-on-one workshop. I met the uh, founder. Her name is Kat Jaffe, and uh, just. You know, like everybody else in the room told her my podcast and she called me the next day and asked me to come back in to talk to her about it and said, like, you know, if you really want to do this, like, let's get it. And at the time, I did not even know what I was what I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I just knew that as a doula, I had witnessed birth and I had witnessed some of the real bullshit that's out here that's happening to women that they are not talking about. Mm-hmm. And what's really happened to black, Latinx and indigenous women that we are for sure not talking about. So my idea was basically like, well, I'll invite these women on the show. I'll ask them to tell their birth story. I'll ask them to talk about who they were before they became parents and how they are now as parents. And I'll ask them, you know, some really tough questions and, you know, really get them thinking. I'll take that information. I'll edit it down to 23 minutes and I'll blast it out to the world. Mm -hmm. Like this was my idea, right? I didn't know about cost and marketing and (laughs) social media. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. 
that's what I did. Yeah. I mean, okay, so I'm making it sound like it's super easy, but it's it's not, right? The podcast studio is like 45 minutes from my house. So I'm driving back and forth. I had to find people who were willing to be vulnerable yep. and tell their story. That was not easy to, mm-hmm. right? I had to figure out what it is I'm really trying to tell people. That wasn't easy either. And before I knew it, the granddaddy of them all was, oh shit, you're a black woman in podcasting. This is a white man's world. Yep. And that was the coup de gras. That was the like, <laughs> fuck, I'm, I'm in it again. Mm-hmm. I jumped out the frying pan into the skillet. Mm-hmm. I left the white man's obstetric world and I went into the white man's podcasting world. Yeah, but I think, so true, absolutely. The numbers are very clear on this. It's something like, of all podcasts, 2% are created by women of color. 2%. <laughs> and shit, we in the same room. The so same like, room. so we're we're make up a big portion of that equation. <laughs> and like, I will give it. I will say it. Like, women of color want to be heard. I mean, yeah. like, you're having an event coming up next week that has like an overwhelming response. So that lets us know that mm-hmm. like we got something to say. Right. Right. We want to tell our own stories. That was the thing too. There's other um, birth, breastfeeding, and bump as in pregnancy story, podcasting stories out there, mm-hmm. right? Then one of them is really popular, but they do not tell the stories of black and brown people, mm-hmm. marginalized people, people who don't have had access to care. Like they kind of glaze over our unique challenges and struggles and barriers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's bullshit, right? I'm not, I'm not subscribing to this, right? right? I want to create something for us, for women of color. Yeah, and you should. I mean, if... if- the market is there. Like we know that, right? And the market isn't wrong. So if if you're if somebody else isn't creating, then you just gotta create it yourself. I agree. And you're doing it. Yeah. And I think that you'll find once you release that baby out into the world, it's gonna grow pretty quickly because you're right. Like I don't listen to birth related podcasts myself. Why would I? We don't wanna have babies, right? <laughs> right. And that's when that's other people I was like doing a podcast about birth, they were just like slamming me with like oh you have to listen to this podcast this birth stories and I was like yeah but see that's the thing like those birth stories don't speak for me and my Mm -hmm. people like that is that host that genre like their target audience it's not my people I'm not gonna listen to what's not for my people yeah so through this process of production and gathering these women and you're speaking to men as well i am right which i think is also really unique you don't i think men are not often asked about their relationship to the birth of their child um it's just assumed that they stood there like a statue and and some do like let me tell you three kinds there's a statue man there's a dude who's like all in it to win it like he is like coach bobby like he is like (laughs) yeah and then there's a dude who hits the floor the pass out. The pass out dude. And we just like, <laughs> we slide him over to the side. Yeah, there. we just walk over him. But you're right. Men are often not like a part of the narrative. Like we focus on women and their recount of the story is the law. Mm-hmm. Like that is what happened. And sometimes, many times, it's not really what happened. But it's not my job as doula to tell them different. Right. I would never tell a woman what I saw different in her birth story. Mm-hmm. If that is what you saw, if that's what you want to remember, by all means. It's her experience. It's your experience. I'll let you have right. it. 
And then going, so going through this process of talking to these different people, men, women, you know, people that long ago had children, people who are just now going through the process. What do you think you've learned? What's been your big takeaway? Um, you know, the biggest thing, like I told you before, was like, uh, I'm not listened to. That's the common thing, mm -hmm. right? And so once I kind of figured, okay, this is this is the truth, and this is what I expected, um, it, it freed me from any other expectations. The other thing was... I didn't expect people to cry as much when the when the headsets came off. So after Girl, the recording, after I stopped the recording and I motioned to take my headphones off and they took theirs off, mm -hmm. the tears, like the first couple times it happened, I was like, okay, I mean, I get it. This is really cathartic. People are releasing, you know, they're feeling some kind of way. They're getting over, but it continued to happen. I would say 80% of the time, when we got done with the interview, people were in tears. That's interesting. But it makes sense because if they don't feel heard and women in particular have not had an opportunity to process that experience, they're processing it for the first time with you. And some of their kids are like grown, mm -hmm. like 20 years old, right? I mean, I've interviewed women who were pregnant. I've interviewed women who are grandmothers. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, we're like across the board in experiences and time. Not everybody has a baby here in Denver. Some had babies in other countries. Some people were born one woman in a refugee camp in Syria. Wow. Right? So I got like just a diverse, beautifully um, diverse first season. Mm -hmm. But the amount of tears just blew me away. Mm -hmm. And then I realized like, I think this is therapeutic for them. Yeah. I would imagine so. And I did not expect it. Mm -hmm. I did not expect it. Um, I also didn't expect to really, I kind of want to say, like, I didn't expect people to be so honest either. I mean, I thought they would tell me the truth as mm -hmm. they remembered it. But some people were really like, it made me uncomfortable. I mean, I, I was like pausing up and like, as the host, I'm mm -hmm. like, damn, this person really has taken it to the razor's edge mm -hmm. with their authenticity and their, and their transparency. Um, and I thought from a listener's perspective, wow, this is what people need to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you see this going? Oh my gosh. I told a cat who owns the studio we're sitting in right now. I said, I'm going for the number one spot. Right. I want to be iTunes number one. Like if I'm not going for number one, then what am I doing out yeah. here? That's it. Like number one or nothing. Because if I don't, like I told you the other day, if I'm not all in it to win it, like if I, my soul and my spirit are not in it, like I'm wasting my time. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm going for number one spot. You know, one of my favorite podcasts is Ear Hustle. Yeah, I love Ear Hustle. Love, shout out to Ear Hustle. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, Radiotopia. But one of the things I love about Ear Hustle is that they got 5 million downloads their first season. Did they really? 5 million. It's recorded in a prison. Yeah, it like, is. Like, if you think about, like, San Quentin Prison in California in the Bay mm -hmm. has a number one podcast or number two or something like that. But nonetheless, 5 million downloads. Wow. Come on now. I mean, I knew it was a lot because they're always they're up there. Right. And it's really good quality if you listen to it. But I didn't know it was five million. And I, I would say like um, 
I don't know if they wanted to go for number one spot. I don't even know what their intentions were when they began that podcast, right? Doesn't even matter. They're there. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm clear about my intentions. I want everybody to have heard of or know about this podcast, this black girl from Detroit started mm-hmm. that talks about all the things that we want to whisper in silence. Like she's bringing into light and she's not afraid. Like this is what I want. I want our people to have a voice. I want them to call me like China. We need you to come to whatever city. It's mm-hmm. some shit going down. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Packing up my little bag. I'm rolling out. Yeah. I mean, you might as well. No one else is doing it. No one's telling these stories. I think for somebody who's like a me or a you and doesn't have these plans for families, why do you think this is valuable to them? Why should they pay attention? Yeah. So... Um, I thought about that too, right? Mm-hmm. I thought about like, well, why would they even validate what I'm saying? Because I don't have the experience. But then I go back to like my doula career. I've been a very successful doula, right? I've been able to float my own business for years. Mm-hmm. N- n- with my clients knowing I do not have experience having a baby. I w- I'm always transparent about that. I cannot tell you what I've gone through because I haven't gone through it. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you for sure you're going to get your every dime worth out of me. I'm very upfront about that. And I think that pe- people can like hear like my passion, how authentic I am, like how invested I am at all levels. Like I threw all of my savings plus some of my daddy's saved money <laughs> into birth control podcasts. Like, you know, there it is right there. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, um, I think the listeners will really appreciate how authentic I am how authentic my podcast is and not just like with my guest stories with my own my own personal journey mm-hmm. I would say also I mean as somebody who's I'm not out here birthing babies on either side of that table right um and in general a birth related podcast wouldn't interest me but this one is good <laughs> because we share studio space and we connect a lot on what's happening, I have every confidence that it's excellent just because of some of the stories that you've told to me. And I'm like, dang, that happens? Yeah, oh my gosh. (laughs) One of my favorite stories from a woman named Milani Bird, and uh, she did a home birth, unassisted home birth in her bathroom Mm -hmm. intentionally. And she intentionally did this because one, she said she cannot afford a midwife. And she was not going to step foot in the hospital, right? So, like, this is just, like, the general mm-hmm. base of the story. But I'm blown away, right? If I'm blown away and I've been in it, the listeners are for sure going to be blown away yeah. by it. You know, and, again, I didn't set out when a month before I had the idea, I had no idea I was going to be a podcaster. Mm-hmm. I had no clue. Right. I would just to be honest, like on the drive over here, it really began to set in like (laughs) because I'm like, I'm going to be interviewed on somebody else's podcast, not as just a guest, but as a podcaster, podcaster. as an audio influencer. I love that. I'm an independent radio audio influencer. Badass bitch. Like. You need a shirt that says all of that. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> and like large type font too. Yeah, for real. Like, And so I can really respect people who like go all in because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going all in. Number one spot. That's what I'm going for. Absolutely. Want to see it? Yes. <laughs>
Thank you for sharing that, China. For our guests, how can they learn more about you or connect with you? Yeah, so of course, social media, right? So Facebook, Birth Control Podcast, Twitter, same thing, Instagram, same. I mean, and I, and I love birth stories. I love like processing with people and helping mm-hmm. them find resources. So if you have a question, my email is hello at birthcontrolpodcast.com. Um, of course, my website is www.birthcontrolpodcast.com. So like if you just put those three letters in together, you're going to find me in some way, mm-hmm. right? Uh, a unique thing about my podcast is that it travels. So all the stories recorded in Denver were people in Denver. And I am going to travel to other cities, U.S. territories, Puerto Rico. Um, I'm going to reservations or sovereign land. So I'm only going to record the stories from where I am. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's so important to me, it's a Nelson Mandela quote. And he talks about you have to go out and, and, and touch the people when you talk to them. Yeah. Right. I need to be sitting face to face with this woman or this man when they tell me their experiences. They have to know I give a shit. They Mm -hmm. have to know I care and they have to know I'm going to take their story and I'm going to make the best experience out of it so someone else can learn from it. Yeah. That's why it's important for me to travel with this podcast. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It's a whole nother expense. (laughs) It is. But it's a whole other experience. It is. And this is why it's important for me to also share like the journey of creating this podcast. Mm hmm. Are you documenting it? I'm I'm sort of kind of getting used to it because I'm not used to being the one like as a doula, I'm not the birthing. I'm not the attention, right? Mm-hmm. The attention's on the mom. So now I'm being asked to flip it on myself. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part that I'm getting used to because I'm so used to making sure that the families shine and that they get the best experience and mm-hmm. that they are supported. But now I need to do that for myself. It makes you be the vulnerable person. For Very vulnerable. I'm yeah. like, damn, I got to be showing my acne and my stretch marks <laughs> and all my all my lady lady bits and shit. And I was like, okay, well, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. That's great. All right. So for this next segment, we always tell a story about another woman of, of impact. She could be a leader, a rebel, someone that you personally look at that woman or those women and go damn <laughs> right and so i know you brought story today but it's not about one person well i do i do want to talk about one person you do want to talk about yeah one person i do in yeah. particular okay. yeah i do so i remember when the stand, um standing rock prayer camp was like in in like full full vibrance i'll say mm-hmm. that right and i remember thinking damn i wish i could go mm-hmm. i wish i can go support but i just couldn't right i couldn't bring anything to the, to the camp. I didn't want to just show up as an extra body to be fed right. or just in the way I wanted to have purpose and I couldn't figure out a purpose. But I remember at that time I was teaching the workshops called Courageous Conversations mm-hmm. and decided that any money that we made, I would send it on to the, the prayer camp. We would make all, all of our proceeds a donation. But I knew in my heart I wanted to go. So sometime later the next, uh, maybe the next year, I think it was like early spring, I got a phone call from a woman named Kamimi Lalak. And she says, hey, um, I want to teach a doula training on Standing Rock Reservation. And I almost fell out of my damn seat because it felt like, one, now I can go and contribute. Mm -hmm. I can have a purpose. And two, I've been invited by someone there. I'm not just showing up, right, to say I'm going. Mm -hmm. And so we, we did this meeting. We did a coordination. And when I met her, I was just like, 
blown away at how passionate she was about birth and how passionate she was about the indigenous women of Standing Rock being able to have access to care, to have mm-hmm. access to doulas, to have access to breastfeeding support. So I get in my car, my friend Penny Lyon, she comes with me and we drive from Denver to Sandy Rock. And I had never been to North Dakota. I mean, have you? No. No. Like I was like, <laughs> I don't know. But and and we arrive there and we do this three day training with this group of, I wanna say about twenty five indigenous women from various reservations, right? Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. It had some turbulence, it had some laughter, it had some, you know, some tears, it had some some jaw dropping moments. But the the love in that room, I was so fortunate to have been able to go and be hosted by somebody who really is a soldier, mm-hmm. like straight up doing the work. And I can't even tell you like sometimes it's the the women like that, like Kamimila, who don't get enough uh, resources, right? Funding, media, uh, education—they don't get enough because they are—they're—they're they're so busy doing the work. Mm-hmm. They don't get a chance to be seen. Mm-hmm. They got their head down. They're in it. They're grinding, right? They're making it happen for their people. And so I'm going back out Standing Rock uh, at the end of August for a breastfeeding training they're doing. I think it's the first ever. That they, really? yeah, that they've coordinated, Kamimila and her team have coordinated a breastfeeding training on Standing Rock Reservation. Wow. Like, that's like, that's how you know folks is out yeah. here hustling, right? Yeah. Like, come on. Like, I don't want to hear nobody talk about what they can't do, right? <laughs> I don't want to hear nobody talk about like resources and funding. And if you want it, you have the passion for it, like Kamimila does mm-hmm. for her people, right? She's indigenous from Standing Rock. Right. They will make it happen. And that's been a huge influence on me to say, I can take this broadcast to number one. Right. If this woman, you know what I'm trying to say? Kinda, if she can do that. Yeah. I can do this, right? With all of the resources and support and the funding that I have, I can make that happen. So shout out to all the women, right? Kamimila and all the women out there in their community who are bringing in resources, bringing in education, like pushing the barriers out of the way to make it happen for breastfeeding, for infant mortality, to prenatal access of care, for postpartum depression. Like mm-hmm. there's foot soldiers out there making it happen. Yeah, yeah. they are. And I think like it. this conversation highlights a few different things for me. Number one, the... Um, just the extreme odds that indigenous women in particular have to face um most under-resourced underrepresented most invisible underfunded underfunded all of that poor access to health care yep all of that um i mean even i'm thinking this podcast that's what she did you know i i'm really focused on bringing in stories about women like this person right but I wanted to have like an entire series on indigenous women and they were, they've been difficult for me to find because I'm not an indigenous person. So I don't have those connections and I get the challenge of getting to them because there's, I'm an outsider. Right. And so I might know somebody that knows someone, but I also need to prove my worth to them. One of the things that she said to me, Camila said to me, um, because I'm taking birth control podcast, to Standing Rock Reservation, mm-hmm. right? And I'm recording an entire season there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live there for a month and record stories. Yeah. And one of the things that she said, she said, I need you to come 
to this birth, um, this birth and breastfeeding training because I have to vouch for you. Yeah. Yeah. I have to show everybody that you're good and you're cool. Like you're, you're not just here to really become a celebrity. You're not here trying to get a handout or a hand up. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you're really here for our people. I get that. Yeah. If you think about it, it's kind of the same mentality of like we have in like in the, in the hood, Mm -hmm. right? Like you got to have somebody to vouch for you that you're really here for the people and you're not here to really just like, um, wave your own flag right you know you're not here to just get some you know do some poverty porn or you're not here Mm -hmm. to just uh, make your highlight yourself and what you're doing Mm -hmm. no i get it at first i was getting frustrated that it was difficult for me to to access these women i'm like i know they're here like how and i and but then it was like wait a second this is ally school 101 (laughs) is what this is and i'm just not used to being on this side of it and like this is the thing when when you're trying to be an ally you need to learn that you to your point you don't just show up you don't come into spaces that you weren't invited into because they don't know you right and it's like they don't know what your intentions are exactly right like it's almost like reminds me like the white female social worker walking through the hood or the projects like why are you here are you here to separate families <laughs> mm-hmm. right are you here to to support families are you here like what are you what are you doing here who brought you here mm-hmm. how did you find us right it's the same thing it's the same exact thing yeah it's allyship school yep. 101 it's exactly what it was so when i i gave myself that little quick come to jesus talk i was like you just need to calm down <laughs> And like, it'll come. You just keep making the invitation, keep reaching out. It'll come. You need to relax. This isn't about you. This Really, this whole podcast isn't about me. And it'll happen. And I think that's a major takeaway for anybody listening today that wants to be an ally to any group, whether it be to indigenous women in particular or women in color in general or the LGBTQ community, if you are not part of that community and you want to support them, you actually need to be invited. Absolutely. And you also, like, once you're invited in, you're not invited to center stage. Right. Again, it's not about you, right? You should be falling back, ready to support. And holding space. If you find yourself as an ally in a group, center stage, running meetings, in the front, in the photos, writing stuff on behalf of you are not an ally. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're tricking yourself. You're fooling yourself, right? Allies know that they come in, they take directions, they fall back, they do the work from behind the scenes. That is a true ally. Exactly. And this whole conversation was a great reminder for me, but I think for anybody that's that's trying to go to ally school, and the interesting thing about ally school is is (laughs) there's no class on that. Like you just have to be willing to do the work and be patient and challenge be challenged it's going to be uncomfortable you're going to have to have some conversations with yourself like i had to have with myself and remind yourself like this isn't about you and you got to do the work and it'll happen over time and if anybody out there like listening to this podcast like wants to support you know because people still live on sandy rock reservation yep right so the prayer camp is no longer there but there's still families and children and women who need access to support and resources, right? Just because the camp went away does not mean the people went away. Mm -hmm. They're still there and they're still living with the impact of having gone through, lived with a time when that camp had such a media impact, right? 
if you want to support because people still need to support, let me know. Hit me up at hello at birth control podcast. I can connect you with folks who's who are doing the work there. Kamimila is still doing the work there. They still want to have more doula trainings and more breastfeeding trainings, right? Mm-hmm. They still need more access to resources to, for their for their people, for their women. It, it didn't just go away. Right. It's still there. Right. Get involved. Get involved. Like, I don't want to hear shit else about my thoughts and prayers and <laughs> I don't know what to do and they shouldn't treat them like that. Get involved. <laughs> Speak up. Shit. Yes. Get involved. Write a check. Action is what makes change. Yeah, write a check. If you just can't seem to figure out nothing else to do, Ally 101, write a check. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not invited, you can still write a check. Write a check. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, you're China. Welcome, girl. This was an enlightening session. Always love hanging with you. I know. So. I feel like I want us to be like sister podcasts. Like the other day when you mentioned that, <laughs> yes. I was like, yes. <laughs> I want to like hang out with her all the time. (laughs) Exactly. Right? Same, same. Same, same. Same, same. So make sure you check out China on social. So you'll find her at Birth Control Podcast on all of the channels. And just because the podcast has not been released yet, it's it's coming. Um, She's still on social all the time and posting information in this area and stories. And there's still great stuff going on. So get involved and breastfeeding events that you're doing are coming up so go check her there as for us on that's what she did podcast hey china's doing some some things she's getting ready to make some money moves grow like (laughs) bankrolling but i'm gonna make sure that i'm taking folks with me right i'm bringing other women of color who want to do podcast and media Mm -hmm. and radio with me like, it's not good enough for me to just go because I'm going. But I, if y'all want to come on, shit, y'all better come on. It's our time. You better speak up now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, so, girl. <laughs> all right. All right. You know what happens at this point in the podcast. I'd like to tell you what to do. You know what to do. But I'm going to tell you anyway. And so you're going to head over to iTunes. You're going to leave us a five-star review and some feedback. You know I love getting your comments. Um, and you know I love getting your emails that's what she did podcast at gmail.com and keep sending me your suggestions on who you think should be a guest on this show and who you think we should profile and keep sending me your feedback you know i love that by the way i finally got off my ass and got the social media together for this podcast and i see that you i see you guys you guys are starting to comment on there you guys are starting to like the pages so thank you for that so check this podcast out on social it's that's what she did podcast with the exception of Twitter because it was way too long. So it's just the initials TWSD podcast and you will find us there. But you could put in the whole name in the search bar and we'll still come up because we're the only one. So <laughs> check us out. Thank you so, so much. And that's what she did. We out. Tanji Renee here with a quick update on China happy to say that China has taken the podcast on the road. She's currently in Haiti, supporting women there with their births and telling their birth stories. Support her as she continues to work on Birth Control Podcast and get it ready for release by heading over to social media, looking up China Tolliver and Birth Control Podcast as she tells her story via social media and shares her journey. Check her out.